Thank you, Lord. We just come before you and we just yield ourselves to you. You alone have the words of life. We ask that you'd speak to us. We pray for our ears that they would be those ears to hear. But only you truly know that, Lord, if they are ears to hear. Only you know truly the condition of our hearts, whether the soil is supple to receive seed. So we yield to you, Lord. We ask for your mercy and your grace. We trust you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. We're just going to jump right into James. It's, a, uh, it's been a very uh, practical and relevant, um, relevant uh, book, and I trust that, like I said last time, that we've adjusted to, uh, to James's way of speaking and his direction. It's an intriguing time in the church for the first hearers of this, this letter. It's written around 58 AD, late 50s. And because of that, I'm intrigued as to what God would say to this people at this time through his apostles, who are predominantly the ones who wrote the New Testament, save Mark and Luke. All the ones that had seen Jesus, been with Jesus, even Paul saw Jesus, he had visitation. What would he have them say to prepare the church for what's coming? What's coming? 64 AD. Anyone knows what happened in 64 AD? The fire of Rome. Do you know who gets blamed for the fire of Rome? Christians. I won't go into the, the history and the reasons why Nero didn't like the Christians, but there were good reasons to get rid of them. The cruelty of Nero was actually so imaginative, it was horrific. These people, not to say five, six years from the writing of this letter, the church will get such persecution that it is beyond shocking. Nero will take Christians and cover them in tar in his garden at night and light them on fire. He will take families, look at your kids, your little ones, and he will throw them to animals to be torn apart. God knows this. James doesn't per se. He may have inclinations. Persecution is already bubbling. What would you have your apostles teach and say to this church to prepare it for such savage persecution? I understand there are people in the room who feel they're persecuted. You need to study history. You really do. I'm not saying you shouldn't stand for the rights as a Canadian, etc., but you really need to study history. How would you prep them? And this is in the context of what we get into in this whole, this whole book of, of how to live. Very little on how to fight the flesh in the, in the sense of the, in the physical realm. Are you in right standing with God? The storms are coming. How deep are your roots? The waves are rising. How is your foundation? Are you ready? Where are you looking? What are you building? What do you do with your time and resources? Who do you live for? Your kingdom? His kingdom? Where's your focus? And this is what we get into again here in light of this, the context of James. James chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Therefore, be patient, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious 
produce of the soil, produce of the soil, being patient about it. Until it gets the early and late rains, you too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brothers and sisters, against one another, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. This passage is an interesting one because he's just, in the previous, last Sunday, I talked about the, the forsaking sort of the, the, the pursuit of short-term pleasures, the earthly pleasures, the, the wealth, the things of today, to, to sort of forego that for what's to come. In order to forgo the present for the future, you must have patience. Patience is necessary. The Greek word for this patience here is a, is, it means to endure bravely, to not lose heart, to hold fast. Until when, Nick? Until the Lord returns. Remember, this is in A.D. 60. The focus of Jesus' return is such a catalyst in the New Testament to, to the believers. The apostles constantly direct people to look to the coming of the Lord, to help them in the challenges of everyday life, to, to ground them, to bring sobriety. Because of this emphasis, I would like to just, just expound a bit about this coming of the Lord, particularly in light of what's going on with Israel and the things going on. And there's so much of this going on. Whatever bench you got, whatever flavor of ice cream you like in Christianity, you can find it and just reinforce it and get in that bubble. But let's see what the Lord says and we'll see what the Word says about the coming of the Lord. Jesus said this himself, about the day and the hour when no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father of Lone. Who knows? Only the Father. Not even the Lord, not even the Son. So when somebody gets up and says, I know, you know they don't know. Now the apostles desire to know too, it's natural for us. And I know this is not directly related to the coming of the Lord, but they desire to get, look behind the scenes here. I'd like to have a bit more info. And this is just after the Lord's resurrection in Acts chapter 1. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. And they are not for you to know. So why do you keep trying to find out? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Jesus clearly states to the apostles, it's not your concern. It's above your pay grade. They need to be focused on the mandate of Christ. That is what you are responsible for. Worry about that. How many Christians are caught up with things that they're not meant to know? They pursue the esoteric. They pursue, pursue the hidden things all the time, defrauding themselves of what's the future. Think of all the resources that are put towards these things. Prophetic conferences, all of these various things. I'm saying, I'm not throwing it all out. We know that the prophetic is needed, but how many times we're we just following all these various things out there. It's like, are you living today for the mandate of Christ, the mandate of the kingdom? Because that's the exhortation we're getting here. 
This is what the Lord says about his return. Therefore, be on the alert. Why, Nick? Or why, Jesus? For you do not know the day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this. If the head of the house had known what time the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have been allowed the house to be broken into. For this reason. What reason? You don't know when he's returning. This reason. You must be ready. You be, be ready as well. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household slaves to give them their food in the proper time? Blessed is the slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. What have you been called to do? Are you doing it? Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time, and he begins to beat his fellow slaves, and he eats and drinks with those habitually drunk, then the master of that slave will come on that day that he does not expect it, an hour that he does not know, and he will cut him in two and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's Jesus talking. And I know in Sunday school you, got, you colored a picture of him with the lambs, and, but he, he said a lot of very serious things. He actually talked about hell more than the apostles. He talked about these things, warning, repercussions of how we live our lives. He brings it down to reality. Sometimes we're so spiritual and ethereal about things. It's all just going to work out. What are you doing? Take ownership of your own life in Christ. Amen? Paul also says this. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. You understand this is figuratively speaking. Are you asleep spiritually? Stay alert and clear, be clear-headed. God has given you a, a sound mind. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, wearing as our helmets the confidence of our salvation. Paul gives a more expansive exhortation in the coming of the Lord. And I can't help but repeat, we need to be focused on what is required of us and not on the actual time of his return. Paul desires the same outcome as James here. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Endure, stay focused. Be patient. Patiently endure. Keep your eyes on what really matters. That which is eternal. Remember it talks about Abraham in Romans 4. He was seeking a heavenly Jerusalem. Now considering what James is speaking about, he continues here. And he likens this to, to illustrate what he's talking about. He uses a farmer. He says, The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until, it's getting, until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your heart, for the coming of the Lord is near. Now, the farmer has a clear role, we would understand, right? In, in the process of production of fruits and vegetables. They have a critical role. But they must work with the principles set by God. 
of sowing and reaping. They must work hard and understand the seasons. They can't just willy-nilly sow what they want to sow at any time. It's not accidental. It's intentional. They need to do it in accordance to the early and late rains. If they are negligent in their work with the natural forces, their produce will suffer. This is a key. This is such a key The farmer must do what is required of him, what only he can do. And God's creation does what only it can do. The farmer cannot make it rain. Correct? Now this understanding helps the farmer to be patient and trust the process. It is through, as it were, co-laboring with the natural forces. Doing what they're required to do. There's a humility Because these forces are way beyond him or her. But they must do what's required of them. They must do what's required and be actively patient for the rains. Be actively patient for the seeds to germinate, to take root, to begin to grow. They cannot force that. Now like the farmer, expectations are upon us as we wait for the coming of the Lord. What is required of us? Now we know there's several parables that Jesus gives about fruitfulness and even return on investment. And in that we must embrace what is our responsibility in laboring in the kingdom. And we have been given the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is like the forces that are way beyond us. As it were with the farmer, the nature, this spiritual, this, this This counsel, we co-labor. We do what's required of us, and we must. And he can only do what he can do. We cannot do what only he can do. And in light of that, we see it says, be patient, strengthen your heart. It means to make stable your heart. To set fast, to make firm. The heart's role is is critical in this. And and it controls our affections, our emotions. But it's beyond that, actually, in the Greek. It's, it's the strength. It's who you are. It drives much of our life. It drives what you do with your time, what you do with your money. The decisions you make is wrapped up in this thing called the heart. It's far more than just sentimentality. James is exhorting us to establish our hearts, to ground it, to root it, to make a decision. To be serious about our lives. To not be tossed about by every wind of doctrine, but to be rooted and to encourage our so that our hearts would not fail us. Now, just as the heart is a big issue if you've got it in the natural, you know, when you've got issues with your heart, they're like, okay, we better get you into emergency now. Why? Because if your heart fails, you die. Don't discount the heart in the spiritual sense. Hebrews 3.12, take care, brothers and sisters, that there will not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another every day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Do not think yourself above this possibility. I always marvel at Judas. He was always stealing from the the, you know, the treasure, as it were, the, the, the money bag that they had. 
He would see the miracles. I'm assuming he went out in Matthew chapter 10 and raised the dead and cleansed the And yet this man was hardened in the deceitfulness of sin. And he sold out our Lord for 30 pieces of silver. You say, I'd never do that. You don't know yourself. You haven't seen your carnality as you ought to. And believe me, when you start going for God, things start coming up. You go, oh, I had no idea it was that sinful. It's actually when you're pursuing God that these things come to more light in your life. We need to be sober in the spiritual environment that we're in, the air we ingest, the culture we're in. Is the culture moving you and twisting you and taking Scripture and molding it to what you should think? Or is it the kingdom that you're breathing? Is it the sovereignty of God? Is it the kingship of Jesus that is sovereign in your life? Be on guard with what tempts you. Are you even aware of what tempts you? Are you aware when you're tired you're more susceptible to X? Do you even know that about yourself? Are you just like, I'm just angry. Oh, dad's having a bad day. He's kicking the dog, as they used to say. I don't know if they say that anymore. Um, are you even aware of these things in your life? Wow, that was really, I'm getting, uh, getting critical. I can see that. Be aware of these things in your life. The vulnerability. We gotta, this is where maturity comes in. This is where yielding, where we're fasting and praying, seeking God. And in seeking God, invariably when God sort of steps down, repentance starts to happen. He's conforming us into the image of a son. Sanctification is a process God is committed to. Are you committed to it? Do you want to be like Jesus? Because if you don't, you're working against the desires of Jesus. We must be sober as to what God has called us to in this life. Galatians 6, 4, pay careful attention to your own work. For then you will get satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Another way of saying this, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you will reap. If I sow apple seeds, I reap apples. You cannot sow sin and reap righteousness. You cannot sow rebellion and, 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 and reap the benefits of obedience. You cannot live this sort of double life and try and somehow use the, a, a righteous credit card of Jesus. Just can you cover that constantly? You reap what you sow. That's actually a very empowering passage of Scripture here. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sin, sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest blessing if we don't give up. It's throughout the Scripture, the New Testament, exhortation to what to live, to be responsible now. In Thessalonians, that was one of the challenges they had. Some guys even quit their jobs just waiting for the Lord's return. That's why there's a lot in Thessalonians about the coming of the Lord. Get on with the job. Get on with the business of the kingdom. He continues here in verse 9 of James 5. Do not complain. A very common theme in this book is interpersonal um, relationships and attitudes towards each other. Do not complain, brothers and sisters, against one another so that you may not be judged. But behold, this judge is standing right at the door. 
Stop turning on each other and sinning. This is, remember the oppression and the, the, the things that these people are already under. And this is the focus, character, pruning, fruitfulness. Be kind to each other. Forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Remember the dangers we fall into when we judge one another. The true judge is nearer than you think as we pontificate and go on about judging. And we talked about that last week. He continues here. As an example, brothers and sisters, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. He adds patience to suffering. Suffering together. He, he says patience and then he says suffering. And it actually means here the Greek is the, to endure evil, trouble, and distress. Don't return evil for evil. Oh, you don't understand what they're doing. Don't retain evil or return evil for evil. Remember a kind answer turns away wrath. Pray for your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Consider the prophets, he says. Consider what them as an example for us. Think of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. And if it's a great Cole's notes on the history of Israel and the relationship with Israel and God, in particular with the prophets. And he, and he says to them, which one of the prophets did you not per- persecute? Always resisting the Holy Spirit. Always standing against it. Why is it such a surprise for us today that there's such resistance? They stood fast. Hebrews 11 talks about the, 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 um, um, the great uh, people of faith, encouragement, that you're not alone. We're in a lineage. We're a part of a kingdom. That you're not just some Canadian guy who's 50 years old. I'm just fighting. No, we're a lineage. We're the people of God. We're on deck. The great cloud of witnesses. We're on deck to hold and to walk this out. The encouragement here is just look at them, study it, see what, how they lived. I was told in, in Nigeria around at Christmas time, 140 Christians were massacred and put to death this last year. Don't be first world and think, oh, this is not... Ha-. I'm telling you, it's going on in the world, in Pakistan. People are suffering for Jesus Christ. And we can't even take a bad day at work. Oh, you see what the government's doing? And we're dragged into the flesh and try and do the kingdom work in the flesh. And that's, the, that's the, the devil's plan always is to drag you into the flesh and think you're fighting as you're like over here hitting the air, thinking you're doing something, texting this, um, uh, you know, whatever your Instagram and, and your Twitter and look at what I'm doing. and blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, uh, good for you. God's work done God's way. Humility, prayer. Seeking him, praying for your enemies. If you want to have true spiritual impact, you do it God's way. And it's only under submission to him. You cannot go your own way and have authority. It's when you're under authority that you walk in authority. Be, be encouraged by these people. Often I think we preach a gospel in such a way, go, wow, why was this man so cursed? 
I thought when you serve God, you get all this money, you get houses, you get cars, you get everything. It doesn't line up, does it? No, it doesn't. It doesn't line up. Jesus had no place to lay his head. Shouldn't he be like a billionaire if that's what it was all about in the first world gospels that we hear? I encourage you with this word that, that we are to press on here and to patiently endure. Even though he probably, this is Stephen, right? Well, it's not Stephen. It's a picture of a guy acting Stephen. Um, but he, he's, it was remarkable. Read it. It's a remarkable thing because he looks up and he sees heaven open up and the Lord standing and, and, and it's an incredible scene. And, and you would think, wow, this is a horrific thing going on, but not to Stephen. His face kind of shines. He's like, he's angelic. He looks like an angel. They actually run at him. They're so demonically offended and stirred up in the scene. They run at him gnashing their teeth like this because he's indicting them. The closest of the Lord, how close the Lord was to this man. And he says, look at Job, how he was tested. Do you guys know the story of Job? It's the oldest book in the Bible. It's it's an ancient book. But basically, he's tested and he loses everything save his life. And his wife wasn't a lot of encouragement. I remember she said, curse God and die because things were pretty bad. And he got a lot of interesting advice from friends. But he still consistently just, just stayed the course. And the end of the, the scriptures tell us this. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. I like this because you may feel in your life, and, and I'm sure there are, like, like I say, there's... there's incredible suffering of the persecuted church across the world right now. And they may never see the sunrise like this until glory. The exhortation is to look, wait for his return. Look to his return, whether you go to him first or he comes here. Are you ready to meet with him? And this is, this, this, this is the key Understanding here is that God is compassionate. He is merciful. He's trustworthy. Be patient. You have to, yes, you're going to have to forego. Yes, all that money in your bank account is not all for you. Yes, your gifts and talents are not all for you. They're for other people. The nature, can I tell you the nature of God is generous? It, he's generous. He's generous. He's giving. God gave his own son. God is giving. That's the, that, the, all to Jesus I surrender it means all because it's a kingdom. It's all to Jesus. I just leave us with this, and just in conclusion here. I don't know where each of us are at. What level of sobriety we have. Because he says, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. So there's, there's this drunkenness the Bible talks about in the spiritual realm. There's this inability to drive, and you're like, you barely walk. Yeah, I can drive. You know, it's like... No, dude, you're not able to navigate. You're not only going to hurt yourself, you're going to hurt other people, and that's what we see. And so I, I, I encourage you to allow God, I think he's doing in this time, and there's a lot of shaking going on, a lot of stuff going on, because he's shaking out what cannot be shaken, or he's shaking out what can be shaken so that what cannot be shaken remains. Embrace the discipline of the Father because it means you're his child. I don't discipline other people's kids. I'd like to sometimes, but I don't. 
Because they're not my kids. I discipline my kids. Why? Because I'm their father. If you are a child of God, you will be disciplined by him. Not all the things that are going on in your life is the devil or the Illuminati or where, yeah. It could actually be your father giving you a spanking, as it were. John chapter 15, Jesus says, my father's the vine dresser. I am the vine. Right? Every branch of me bears fruit, and the Father prunes it so it may bear more fruit. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he prunes. God is desirous and committed to bearing fruit in your life. Are you in alignment with that? Are you desirous to bear fruit for him? Or are you at odds with God's will for your life? Are you trying to take bits and pieces of the gospel you like? Like, I like not going to hell. That's a pretty good one. I'll take that. Are you taking bits and pieces? Because it doesn't work that way. He is the king. It is a kingdom. Jesus did not start another religion. It is not a religion. It's a kingdom that came to earth. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And there's a king in this kingdom. And this kingdom rules. And it's all those who come to surrender, who wave a white flag, who say, I surrender, who are brought in. There is no deals or bargaining at the door. And discussions and negotiations around what you want to give up and what you don't want to give up. As I said last week, the reason it's so difficult for rich people to enter the kingdom of God is because you give everything up. It's all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. How many of us sung that song? Now let's do it. That is the mark of what came out of the fast for me. Most of us here have all this theology. Most of us here have heard this many times. It's now start to live it. That is the nature of what James is talking about. To be a hearer and a doer. This is not meant like um, university education where, okay, I understand that, got that, got that. The demons believe good theology and tremble. The acquisition is the beginning. It is now about, okay, how do I walk this out, Lord? To take hold of us. To move from the center of your focus, maybe getting married, your children, your, your, your career, Jesus, at the center. Do you know you hit what you look at? Um, I ride a motorbike and I heard this about skiing. You have to, when you're going through uh, the skiing through the woods, you don't look at the trees. Why? Because you'll hit what you look at. You actually have to actively look away from the trees and in between the trees, in order to miss the trees, you will hit what you look at. If you continue to look for the things of the world, you will hit the things of the world. These are not meant to be up here ethereal where monks have figured it out over years or mass amounts of meditation and enlightenment. It's all very grounded. You reap what you sow. So what do you want to uh, reap? And then work backwards and sow what you want to reap. What is it you want from your life? Jesus would many times, what do you want? I want you to heal me. Isn't it obvious? Well, not really. Why would I assume? What do you want? Who here wants to hit mediocrity and get into heaven by the skin of their teeth? Yeah. If your kid came to you and said, well, dad, I'd rather just work at a gas station, minimum wage, and blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying it's wrong to work at a gas station, but I'm saying, can you imagine a kid at 19, my son saying, I'd just like to do the bare minimum. I'd like to play video games to 50. I'd like to blah, 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 blah. 
you say, son, there's something wrong with you. None of us are this way. We're not, if you're honest, we all want to be successful. There's nothing wrong with that. How about being productive? How about bearing much fruit? How about yielding to him and saying, okay, I'm done. 2024, I'm done. I'm not going to seek as the heathen seeks or the pagan seeks how to feed myself, how to clothe myself, what car to drive, all this. I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God. You say, Nick, you don't know who I am. You don't know how much money I have. Well, just read the book. Jesus challenged a guy on that. He says, go sell all that you have and follow me. Give it to the poor. God will challenge you on where your heart is at. Because your heart will naturally, ultimately, end of the day, your heart is what will dictate your future. The issue for us is not whether God loves us. I'm telling you. He's proven it 2,000 years ago. The issue is whether you love God. That's the issue. God has expressed his love towards us through his son. I encourage you with this in this time to hear, to move, to act upon what God is calling this church to, what us as a people to. Let's stand together, please. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bob Dylan has a line from a song that says, Are you ready to meet Jesus? Are you where you want to be? Will he know you when he sees you? Or will he say, depart from me? Are you ready? I hope you're ready. Lord, we yield to you. We do not cross-examine. We ask you to lead us. We declare that we have a loving Father. A loving Father that wants life and life abundantly for us. We declare there are lies out there. We declare that there is a way that seems right to a man or a woman, but in the end leads to destruction. We don't want that anything that seems right. We want what is right. We want your truth, Lord, in our lives. We yield to you. We just say, Lord, we just come at your feet and say, Lord, you have your way. Yes. We lift our jobs. We lift our children. We lift our finances. We lift all these things to you and say, oh God, I'm scared, but have your way. We lift our bank accounts, our RSPs, our investments to you and say, Lord, we open every door in the house and say, Lord, you're into, you can go in any room you want. I'm scared, but I trust you, Lord. I don't know what my future is going to look like, but I trust you, Lord. All I know is that you are my king. You died for me. Just as they split, sing this song, or we play this last song, just, Lord, we just ask that you would just Draw each one. Your goodness, draw. Draw, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.